welcome to the Every Voice Now podcast, where we bring voices of color into the spotlight. I'm Myla Kim. And I'm Ed Gilbreth. In every episode, you'll hear from authors of color as they share about the inspiring stories that led to the making of their books, as well as the challenges they had to endure and overcome along the way. Hey, Myla Kim. Hi, Ed. How are you? I am doing well, and I'm really excited about our guest today, Nicole Lim. She's the author of the new IVP book, Liberation is Here. Yeah, me too. I have a confession to our listeners that I am a total fangirl of Nicole Lim, so I was super excited for this conversation. (laughs) Not only is she Asian American, not only is she an Asian American woman, but she is a creative in all the ways that you can be creative. And so, I I mean, you got to work on the book with her, Ed, so how was this conversation for you? Yeah, it was a real privilege to be able to come alongside and serve as one of the editors on this project. And she's an amazing woman. I mean, a filmmaker, an author, a ministry leader. Her ministry, Freely in Hope, does work with women survivors in Africa. And that's at the heart of her story. Yeah. And I'm just excited for our listeners to be able to hear a little bit of her heart today. It's such a good conversation. Nicole has so many stories to tell. And so we hope you can sit back and enjoy this conversation with Nicole Lim. Hello, everybody. We are so excited to welcome Nicole Lim, author of Liberation is Here to the Every Voice Now podcast. So welcome, Nicole. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Can you just even share with our listeners a little bit about your ethnic background? And also, if you can introduce us to your immediate family members. I am third generation Chinese American, born and raised in the Bay Area, currently live in Richmond, and I live with my mom and dad, and I have a younger sister who is a nurse in LA. Well, we know that you're the founder and the international director of Freely in Hope, and so can you tell our listeners what your organization is about and how that came to be, and also its connection with your book, Liberation is Here? Yeah, Freely in Hope is a organization that operates in Kenya and Zambia. We equip survivors of sexual violence to lead and ending the cycle of sexual violence. And so what that looks like is providing um, holistic opportunities that they need to thrive in their leadership. We believe that survivors of sexual violence have the potential to become the most powerful liberators in our world. And that's what my book, Liberation is Here, documents is how survivors can come into that trajectory of being liberators and how I've observed that to be true in my work. So all of our storytelling platforms are led by the voices and the ideas and the dreams and the vision of survivors. And so my book, Liberation is Here, documents my 10-year journey of learning how to lead an organization in context with stories that are not my own and to also allow this beautiful trajectory to take place where survivors are allowed and uplifted and amplified in their leadership. That is incredible. I feel like this podcast is dedicated to amplifying authors of color, but I feel like what it's really doing through you is amplifying the voices of all those women and their stories. And it goes beyond just you as an author. 
So you dedicated your book to Gung Gung, who told you to write before you knew how. And so can you tell us who is Gung Gung and what is the story behind that dedication? Yeah, so Gung Gung is my grandfather. He was a journalist in communist China, and he was wrongly convicted of speaking against the government. And his communist friend, who was a soldier in the regime, actually gave him a tip and said, you know, you're blacklisted to be killed. And if you don't leave the country tonight, we will find you. And so you better flee. And so he fled to Hong Kong, eventually made it over to Canada. And they came down to San Francisco, where he was a pastor of a church for 35 years. And so that story and experience he narrated to us constantly was very helpful for me to understand where I came from. He also wrote several books about our family lineage together with his ministry. And so his writing informed mine in a way, but I never saw myself as a writer because my background is in photography and filmmaking. So I was always about capturing the image, editing the videos, and that's just what I grew up doing. But he told me many times, you should write about your experiences, you should write. And so he really encouraged me to write, even though I didn't really know how, but I feel like through his example and legacy, it was in my DNA. And so therefore, I had no choice. So even speaking on lineage, you say something in your book about how the struggle of your ancestors actually paved this way for you to write a new story. And so can you just speak a little bit on that? Yeah, so I'm third generation, right? And this is what I've observed, at least in the Bay Area in terms of the generations. First generation are the ones who escape war, famine, disease, poverty, communism in terms of my lineage. And so both grandparents on both sides, they they escaped that with absolutely nothing. Coming to America to find a better life for their next generations after them. And so their children are then required to become doctors, lawyers, nurses, acupuncturists, right? My father followed suit. He became a dentist. My mom didn't follow. She was supposed to be a nurse, but she ended up being an artist. So I think that's also where my artistic allowance comes through. So that generation is forced to work hard so that the family can be uplifted out of poverty. And it worked for, um, for that generation, a lot, of, a lot of that generation. So when third generation comes along, we are living in the success of our parents, but still witnessing and hearing the stories of the poverty of our grandparents. And so I feel like the third generation is then trying to reconcile what their role is and observing what poverty and oppression look like in their grandparents' generation, yet living in this wealth. How do, how do we live then in our third generation experience while still honoring the lineage that went before us? And so how I feel that our ancestors paved a way for me to achieve my dream is that they, they struggled so much and suffered so much and risked so much so that the generations after them could find freedom. And I think for the third generation, at least from my experience, it's like, yes, freedom, but then what would freedom look like for those beyond me? What would it look like for freedom for those who don't look like me? Especially in the Bay Area, we're probably the majority, not that racism is completely over, obviously. But I think it's important to remember our lineage in that we were also lynched and our businesses were also burned down. And the Chinese Exclusion Act was the only specific race-specific declaration that banned people from coming to this country. And so all all of those things really inform our current experience in America. And so I feel like there's a responsibility then to recognize if our lineage fought for freedom, what does freedom look like considering we've experienced a semblance of it? We're not there yet 
but we've experienced some semblance of it. What does it look like to ensure that freedom happens continuing for our lineage, but also for those who are experiencing greater oppression than we are? And so when it comes to your creative endeavors, you are creative in all types of ways, photography, filmmaking, writing. Growing up, can I ask who were your role models? And more specifically, did you have any Chinese American role models in these areas? Well, I would say my grandfather and my mother are my biggest role models because that's what I was surrounded by. The other person that really formed me was Lisa Ling. Interestingly, Lisa Ling is in the front of the camera, right? But I was behind the camera. So I was like, okay, Lisa Ling is doing the work that I want to do in terms of documenting stories that are not heard on the mainstream and telling these stories and digging into these really tough topics that Asian Americans don't talk about normally. But she digs in and because she was always at the forefront, I was like, well, what does that look like for me if I'm behind the camera? Because obviously you don't see Asian Americans behind the camera because they're behind the camera. So how do I then like learn from what Lisa Ling is doing on screen and then practice that from the behind the scenes? So it, it was it was a struggle though because I didn't feel like I was meant to be in front because I write a lot of my book. Children should be seen and not heard. Not that my family believe that, but there's this overbearing cultural societal understanding, right? Of as, as a woman, you need to remain in the background. And so as a photographer, that notion worked very well for for my. I work as a documentary filmmaker. So as I you know, studied Lisa Ling's work a little bit more and did more documentary filmmaking work, I saw that there also needed to be some type of translation, right? For when stories are captured, sometimes we need to also be the bridge in, in communicating what it is that we're experiencing. And then now as I'm doing this work of fundraising and preaching and speaking, it's like I'm always in front of the camera. Like even now, it's just so weird, but also necessary. I'm learning. And so it's, I'm like learning to find what my perspective and voice is in the process. Thank you so much for even sharing the beginning journey of even before becoming a writer. We're excited to just hear the rest of it. So we need to take a quick break. But when we return, we'll talk more with Nicole about her journey to getting published. So stay tuned. And thanks for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast. I'm Helen Lee, the producer of the Every Voice Now podcast. We hope you've been enjoying our show and all the guests we've had on so far. In addition to this conversation you're listening to with the amazing Nicole Lim, we have Isam McCauley, author of Reading While Black, Adam Thomason, author of Permission to be Black, and several authors from our Enneagram Daily Devotional series coming soon to close out our first season. Don't forget that you can get all the books by authors on our podcast at ivypress.com. And if you keep listening, you'll find out how to get a great discount on these books. Happy New Year from your friends at Every Voice Now. Welcome back to the Every Voice Now podcast. I'm Ed Gilbreth, and with us today is our guest, Nicole Lim, author of the book, Liberation is Here. Nicole, let's talk about the genesis of, of the idea for the book. When did you first begin thinking, I could do this, I, I should write this book? It's been a long journey for sure. Because I started 10 years ago, you know, speaking and preaching for the sake of fundraising for Freely and Hope. A lot of publishers would approach me and say, you should write a book, you should write a book. But the approach was in a way that didn't feel right to me in that the recommendation that they always had for me were books that I didn't necessarily agree with in terms of that Western missionary going to Africa and 
doing all these amazing things for Africans, right? And, and it just didn't feel right. And then I always told them, you know, my girls are excellent storytellers. If you want to write a book, they would be better, you know. And as time moved on um, and I started getting more speaking platforms, the girls would actually push me and say, people need to learn from your experience because the formation of the organization is your story too. And the learnings that we've had together have the opportunity to be documented in book form. And so they were the ones pushing me, actually. A lot of the, the girls that I feature in the book, they're the ones that would say, because you're getting all these platforms for speaking and podcasting and preaching, how will you use your platform in a way that will amplify our voices? How will you ensure that the stories that you tell are, are honoring? And how will you ensure that the support that you provide us is long lasting. So as they encouraged me to write, it just came to a point where I had no choice. Like I said, with my grandfather's experience in writing as well, that lineage was already in me. And there's a lot of things I've learned in my life that some things you just can't run from as much as you try, you, you just can't. The crux of my book is uh, the experience that I've had only three years into my work and the, the escalation of stories of violence and trauma escalated into into secondary post-traumatic stress disorder for me. When I moved back to the Bay Area, and it took years actually for me to actually tell that story um, outside of my therapist. And when I started telling other people, they were also saying, we've had similar experiences, or I know of other organizations that have completely burned out because they weren't doing it right. They weren't, they weren't doing the work of sustaining their own leadership. They weren't doing the work of delegating to the community members and everything fell on their shoulders. And that story needs to be told too. And so I think that experience of almost losing my vocation, giving up on the thing that I love so much um, is what I, really compelled me to finally sit down and write this proposal because there are too many organizations that start and they don't complete the task. And as they are starting and not completing, they're, they're actually causing more harm than good. And so I wanted my story to be a case study of what it could look like to work together in tandem with communities and the, my learnings along the way, my failures along the way, because I want other people to learn from my experiences and not make the same mistakes, um, but to also learn from the brokenness and the suffering of the world and how it has a potential and possibility for hope and redemption. And so that's why, yeah, I finally wrote it. And uh, when I submitted the proposal, I was very <laughs> uh, ambitious in that I wrote that crux of the story, my whole burnout story of uh, being hospitalized in Zambia. I had that as part of the proposal intentionally because that was the darkest part of the book. And if the publisher chose to go with that, then I knew that it would be the right fit. So IVP well, picked it up. Well, we're very happy that you sent it to IVP. And, and I had the privilege of doing a little bit of the editorial work and walking that journey with you a little bit. I just remember the first time reading the manuscript, how hard it was and how powerful and honest and raw. And I just felt like the world needs to, to experience this and needs to read this. And and so I, I commend you for just what it must take, the vulnerability and the honesty to be able to, to share your story. Can you talk about the process of actually finding the, the strength and the, the courage to, to actually put these things to paper? Everything that I do is really led by the courage of the survivors that I work with. I learned about storytelling in terms of telling the story of trauma 
in a way that is dignifying through survivors as they were bold enough to share their stories with me, as they were bold enough to share their stories on public platforms and with other children who had experienced the same violences that they have. That example really challenged me to also do the same. And I write a lot about this where I've realized that if they can choose to live into another day, to go to school, sit in their university course, get straight A's, if they could choose to um, still hustle in the ways that they can to feed their children and their nieces and their nephews that are living with them, if they could still choose to pursue this dream of ending sexual violence, even when violence is so close to home, then I could also choose to live into another day in advocacy, in partnership with those dreams. And I can also choose to attempt to tell my own story of what it looks like for that partnership and synergy to take place, even in context of suffering and violence. And so they really have been my strongest support system and motivators that I learn everything about courage and vulnerability and power in storytelling from. It's clear in reading the book that you're a filmmaker just the narrative in at different points feels so cinematic. I mean, you create and paint a beautiful, striking, powerful picture of your journey and the journey of the women that you work with. And this book ends up being this very unusual blend of not just writing, but of photography and of poetry. How important was it to you that your photographs and poetry were also a part of the book? So as I was writing the narrative process, um, I recognized that there are some things that you can't put to words. There are many things, in fact, that the suffering and the trauma and the pain and despair is just so deep that words are insufficient. And so uh, incorporating my photos with poetry helped to at least attempt to convey the, the depth of suffering, but also the depth of love that I experienced in my work. And so that's why I felt like it needed to come in tandem because words are very insufficient in many ways. And photos are also insufficient in many ways, even though we say that a picture is worth a thousand words. Tell it, what story are those words telling, right? Because if people just saw the image, they can interpret it any way they want. And that's the beauty of art, right? People are, can interpret it at the same time. If that story belongs to someone, we want to ensure that the way that it's interpreted is honoring the person that's depicted in that image. And so that's why the pairing of uh, photos and words and poetry was imperative for me in this, which is why I know it was a huge risk for IVP to take because many other publishers turned it down because there were so many elements um, that were very different. Well, you succeeded because it's the photography, the images were just powerful. And so is the poetry. In fact, I'm wondering if you would honor us by reading the selection from your book. There's one poem that I keep thinking about that I back to as I think about your book on page 74. Yeah. Forgive yourself for not knowing what you know now, for this will expand the heart's capacity for compassion, for self, and for others who do not yet know what they will. I can only try to find redemption for my failures, to put words to the inner darkness I've tried to hide, to hold space for vulnerability, hoping that all the ways I withhold will one day unfold to see something of value in me the same way I see it so clearly in others, to be present to the woundedness of the world, knowing that I cannot heal it all, 
to lean into pain, trusting that its experiences will unveil indescribable joy beneath. To me, that that really sums up so much of what you're doing in this book by sharing your story. What, What kind of impact do you hope this book will have in the broader church? My hope is that my story that's captured in Liberation is Here can be a case study for what it could look like to flip the tables of what leadership is and looks like within churches, within nonprofits, within organizations. I feel like too long we've had this top-down approach and the Western mindset, the Western mentality um, overrides what it is that the people actually need and want and desire. And so if I could offer my own journey as a case study for what it could look like to allow people at the margins, survivors of sexual violence, to be leaders in, in initiatives for providing their own freedom and liberating themselves, then that's actually how I believe we will experience liberation ourselves, is if we can understand that our liberation is tied to each other. And so I really hope that my story could be that case study of recognizing that liberation is found in the most unexpected places. Look around, open your eyes, open your ears, and allow someone else to lead for once and see what will happen, because that's where I believe liberation will take place. Well, we need to take one more break, but when we return, we'll continue our conversation with Nicole and find out why she was the right person to have written Liberation is Here. But first, it's time for our Behind the Book segment, where we pull back the curtain and find out more of the story behind the scenes here at IVP. Today, you'll hear from Christina Gilliland, who served as Nicole's marketing manager. My name is Christina Gilliland, and I am one of the marketing managers at University Press. So I've been at IVP for almost four years. I chose to market Liberation is Here um, because I just was really captivated with Nicole and her platform and her story, her nonprofit, Freely in Hope, and all the work that she's been doing to really empower marginalized women all throughout the world. I wanted to get behind her because I believed in her as a mother of daughters myself. Anytime I can go alongside someone who is empowering women, I'm all about that. And secondly, most, and also most importantly, empowering authors of color. That's what I'm about 100%. Nicole fit that and I was excited to kind of get to know her and uh, come alongside what she's already doing. For the church, as they approach this book, I would encourage, if I was talking to a pastor or any kind of church leader, I would encourage him to pick up this book because The noise is very loud on social media these days of pastoral leaders that have these mega platforms and it's just so much noise and so much me, 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 look at what I'm doing. Uh, Follow me, look at my church numbers. That That doesn't go very well. And we are seeing that more and more on social media as leaders are falling. Not that I would ever hope for that because Jesus came for the church. We are his body. But what I really loved about the women that were highlighted is because they are unsung. We are never going to see uh, a CNN profile of them or a special article in the New York Times. Um, Yet their stories will not only affect themselves, but they will affect generations to come in their communities and their villages. They will inspire other little girls that have seen what they've been able to do. This reawakened in me hope, respect, excitement, 
there's a there's an energy behind the global church. There always has been, but even more so in just looking at when Nicole's book is bringing to light that there's the Holy Spirit is alive and well, and it gives me hope. It gives me energy for my own faith, and uh, I just respect the global church so much because they've had to go through so much persecution, so much struggle. And it's exciting. It's exciting to hear what's going on in all the different corners of the world. You're listening to the Every Voice Now podcast, and I'm Myla Kim. And today we've been talking with Nicole Lim, author of Liberation is Here, which can be found wherever books are sold. Um, Nicole, let's talk a little bit more about your voice and the importance of your voice to this conversation that you're contributing in your book. Why does your particular ethnic voice matter in a subject matter like liberation and justice? Yeah, so there are no models for Asians working in context with Africans. And if there are, they're in the business world. And right now it's not looking too good with uh, relations with Chinese and, and different African countries especially when it comes to ministry, I think what I've observed and what I've learned is that it's we, we still have this very top-down mindset that the Western education system rules and therefore we know what's best. And what I feel with the Asian perspective is that we actually have so much to offer and also we have so much to relate with in other cultural contexts. And sometimes we don't delve into those similarities enough because we focus too much on assimilating with whiteness and Western ideals. And so if we can learn to grasp our own identity and the gifts that our own culture offers us to inform our approach, I think that's going to also create more bridges um, within other cross-cultural contexts than before. And so I feel like a lot of my own approach, especially in my, you know, respect for elders, honor for for everyone at the table and ensuring everyone's fed in this very communal societal understanding, that's very inherent to both Asian and African cultures. And if we realize that communal aspect is not just the people that look like us, I think the synergy between the, the cultures could really create something new and beautiful. So I think more of these models of leadership need to be told from a way that's very personal and understanding of how our personal leadership informs um, how we move into the world, ideally with compassion and with love. So it just seems currently there aren't that many Asian American Christian voices who actually even write on topics like liberation and justice. And so as you are writing on this topic, why do you think that's the case? From my understanding of other Asian Americans in my circle, and even in my own journey, liberation and justice is very risky. And we were taught to not take huge risks if it requires any financial risk and any potential shame to the family system. And so pursuing these very difficult conversations on justice and liberation is very risky because we were taught to pursue the status quo, become a doctor, lawyer, or acupuncturist, uh, so that you can bring honor to the family. Anything other than that is a high risk. And especially when you're entering into work where 
you are subject to violence also puts the entire family system at risk. And so there's a lot of fear of the uncertainty, I think, in a lot of family systems that we don't want to venture out into something that's different because of the fear of going back to the oppression and poverty from whence we came. That would be considered shameful. And that would be a huge like diss to our grandparents and our great-grandparents who struggled so much to find freedom for us, yet to go back into the same oppression sounds ridiculous. And so what I believe is necessary for Asian Americans in this in this current state that we're in is to move forward in, again, realizing our own heritage and our own background and the ways that we were oppressed so that we can realize that the stories are not that different. Yes, there's a lot of, obviously, differences in, in how we're perceived, but if we can take our own experiences and apply it to the now advocating with Black lives, ensuring that there is justice and equity in our hiring systems if we are at that higher CEO level status, if we are working in context of those who do not look like us, how do we ensure that the least of these in today's society are being leveraged? And I think if we've reached higher positions of power, especially in the business sector, which we have, then it's our job to ensure that equitable measures are being enforced within, within our corporate systems because we have to remember where we came from, right? Um, just because we feel that we've reached success and assimilated with whiteness doesn't mean that we've succeeded anything at all. In fact, we've degraded ourselves um, in, in ways that are limiting us from seeing a more just and beautiful world that encapsulates all of our stories together. And so I feel Asian Americans can learn to open our eyes beyond what we know, beyond what we see, beyond what our family systems have taught us, and to start to learn about other cultures. And this doesn't mean like Asian versus Blacks. I mean, even Chinese with Laotians and Koreans with Cambodians, Chinese with Japanese. Know what I'm saying? Like, that's a really tricky topic still for a lot of the older generation. And, and that has still trickled down to other generations, even unknowingly. And so talking about these things, communing with people that are different than us for the sake of mutual liberation is imperative. And one of the beautiful things about your book is how you give voice to so many women and so many lives that I think American readers would not encounter otherwise. And so can you give us insight into how our listeners or the typical American Christian, what can they do to open themselves up more to actually be able to listen to the marginalized voices of the world? Excellent question. So there are two things I'll share that survivors have taught me. One is changing the language. And so a lot of this work of anti-sexual violence, anti-human trafficking, we use the term victim a lot. And so what they've told me moving as they've come into their own sense of healing is I'm not a victim, I'm a survivor. And that label is really important because if we only see them as victims, if we only see women who have experienced trauma or women who have been victimized, if we only see them as victims and we label them as victims, we're going to treat them like victims, right? And so it's imperative that we shift the language to what they desire. Secondly, what they've told me too, is you are not a voice for the voiceless because that implies that they don't have a voice. And so the issue here is 
my providing the platform for voices to be heard is what is allowing their their existing voices to come forth, right? And to use that word amplify that you're using as well, our role of amplifying voices that are already in existence is also our role as a advocate, as a bridge builder. And so not taking away people's voices is really crucial in, in development and ensuring that we are listening to these voices so that we can learn from them is important that we're not getting in the way, that our ego doesn't get in the way of actually listening to our communities. And so I think what we need to do in the church and everywhere really is to see people at the margins, to see survivors as our liberators. And if we shift the way that we see them, we shift the way we talk about them, we shift the way we commune with them, that it doesn't become an us and them no longer. It is a mutual friendship, a mutual relationship that we are building whatever it is that we're building together in partnership. Then we will realize that they are our liberators, in fact. And so if we treat them as such, I think that's how things will start to shift and our ego will slowly disappear so that the leadership of survivors can come to the forefront. And there we will realize that our liberation was always here. I love that. There's so many things we could say about that. And I think what I hear is even your gift, specifically you, Nicole, your gift as an author is not just about writing a book, but I hear this prophetic empowerment to people on the margins. And as an author, you're picking those words and you're naming people prophetically to release them and to liberate them and to call them liberators. Like, I think that's such a prophetic thing that you're doing with your platform and your ability to use words and free people. So that was just so amazing to hear. So Nicole, we've come to the end of our time, but before we go, could you please share to our listeners how they can reach you and how they can support your ministry if they're interested? Yeah, we would love for you to support our ministry. I believe that if we start to see people at the margins as our liberators, then we will actually fund those dreams and ideas and initiatives. And um, that comes with ensuring that our investments are going toward what we actually align with and aligning with the dreams of survivors of sexual violence is a way that you can can participate. We have um, a monthly giving program that would love to invite people to because that is the group of folks that encircle our scholars with the support that they need to thrive. So you can go to our website, freelyandhope.org and sign on. People give as little as $5 a month to $1,000 a month. Whatever it is that you could provide will really support the dreams and initiatives of our scholars. Uh, you can hit me up on both Facebook and Instagram, Nicole, N-I-K-O-L-E underscore Lim. I will find you there. Always feel free to reach out if you want to engage in longer conversations beyond this podcast. Definitely. Well, thank you. We'll definitely link that in the show notes. And so thanks, Nicole. It's been awesome having you on our show today. And just a note for our listeners that you can find Nicole's book at ivypress.com. And if you use the code EVN40, you can get 40% off and free U.S. shipping. So that's a great way to get a great deal on Nicole's book. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Every Voice Now podcast brought to you by IVP. Our producer is Helen Lee, and our sound engineer is Jonathan Claussen. If you are enjoying our show, we'd be grateful if you'd share about it with your friends. Please review and recommend us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. 
And we love getting your feedback. So get in touch with us with your comments, critiques, or questions. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Every Voice Now, or you can email us at evn at ivypress.com. And join us next time for another inspiring episode of Every Voice Now. <laughs>